The Pace Line is a production of the Cycling Independent, a reader and listener-supported cycling-focused website where every bike is a good bike. And if you ride bikes, you're one of us. Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin, Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How are we doing, dude? We're doing well. We're doing well. (laughs) Uh, You and I are going to do this thing that we do, and then I'm going to drive up to Vermont and try to put some skis on some snow. I've been, it's that good part of the winter where you can ride a little and you can ski a little. You can do both. Uh-huh. Yep. And, yep. and I like that. It is, you know, there's just something really wonderful about that switch between different sports. Uh, something to which I'd become inured. Uh, didn't have much experience with that for a while there. I was switching between mm. different kinds of cycling. Uh, but just this past weekend, I spent... Three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, doing uh, skeet skiing. And then on Monday, I went for a mountain bike ride. I mean, that's living life right. I, that, that is I have nothing to complain about. Yeah, that is immeasurable wealth, however you get there. Yeah. Uh, also, my, uh, my balance is starting to come back. <laughs> oh, Yes, what is the update on your Lyme disease or other tick-borne illness? God. Uh, Well, I actually had to go to urgent care the other night because the site of the tick bite is uh, swollen and red and irritated. And uh, said irritation was um, starting to take a hike into other areas. Um, It was moving south uh, on my neck. Um, but I'm told that the course of doxycycline I'm on is going to do just fine and that I should find time to put, uh, warm, wet compresses on my neck. And it turns out that being a working writer, unless I like want a soaked shirt, I haven't really figured out how to do that. Um, Mm. so maybe, maybe tonight. Yeah. You'll have to take your fingers off the keyboard for a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's yeah. just that's a suggestion. <laughs> I I'm um, you know, I'm all ears. <laughs> yes. Uh so I'll I'll jump right in here. I I rode the other day as I was saying with my friend Fez. Uh Fez has written for TCI. Uh he's a yoga and meditation teacher. Uh he's a two-time cancer survivor. He's a working musician. And he came back to bike riding in his 40s. Um, He's a lot of fun to ride with. And that's because he really, really feels the joy of riding bikes. Mm -hmm. He's just thrilled all the time. So on this particular ride we were on, he cleared some obstacles he hadn't been able to clear before. And he was stoked. (laughs) I I also was stoked as Mm -hmm. a result. Um, I, I was stoked 
uh, that he had achieved the things, and I was stoked that he was so stoked. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot yeah, of yeah. there was a lot of that. Well, stoke um, is infectious. It is. It is. It can be if you if you got to let it in. <laughs> um, and so he asked me at some point there. He said, "How did you guys wind up as mountain bikers?" Because he belongs to this sort of cabal of knuckleheads that I ride bikes with. <laughs> And he, he was kind of, and he and I ride mountain bikes together. And he said, like, how do you get here from road biking? Because he perceived me as one time a quote unquote serious road cyclist. Uh-huh. And that got me to thinking about what's good about the different kinds of riding I've done in my life. Because, because they're the same. They're mm-hmm. all bikes. But they're also different. And I think sometimes we divide ourselves up as cyclists in ways that aren't helpful. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, we do. Okay, we do it a lot. I I mean, that's a that's a thing humans do. Right. Right. We we focus on our differences, which are real to some extent, uh, instead of on what we have in common, which is. I think vastly greater than the differences. Right. Which is not that diverse genetically that we could have that many differences. Anyway, (laughs) that's just science. I explained to Fez that mountain biking to me is just a continuation of the BMX riding I did as a kid. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I never raced BMX. That wasn't a thing in Mobile, Alabama. Um, But we rode all over in the woods, on the streets, off jumps, etc., on our BMX bikes. And so my feelings about mountain biking are entirely aligned with that part of my childhood, which, as it turns out, was one of the very happiest parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Road biking, uh, which I was very into from about 1997 through 2010 or so, feels a lot more adult by comparison. It's like uh, my bike riding grew up in a way because road riding has this order and discipline and linearity to it that mountain biking doesn't require. Uh-huh. Uh, road biking really asked me the question, how far can you go and how fast can you do it? Um, that's simplifying things dramatically because it also gave me a place to meet my friends and gave me a way to explore you know, those far, far flung roads that exist everywhere. Um, my, my road riding life was rich and varied and fun. I love a long grinding road climb and I love that swoopy descent that comes after. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, road was good, but subtly different. Um, then gravel bikes came along. And for me at first, that really just meant 28 millimeter tires on my road bike. Um, (laughs) Uh yep. Yeah, that was the gravel bike of, you know, 2010. Uh, uh, But pretty quickly, I built my first real gravel bike with, wait for it, 32 millimeter tires on it. (laughs) Uh, And I got down to the business of riding dirt roads and trails all the time. It was the same but different. And I have to admit, it was also lower stress. Uh Um, Keep in mind, I'd been commuting and riding through the city this whole time. I'd been hit by cars a few times. I'd been in conflicts with drivers semi-regularly. Gravel riding was a real departure from the anxiety of being on the road. Mm -hmm. Um, But it still required a lot of pure cardiovascular fitness. And so that transition felt seamless to me. Yeah. 
It's like you're doing this thing, but you're just doing it out of the way now. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Uh, that, and, that makes entirely too much sense is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And then and I think initially we thought of gravel riding as like um, an event like D2R2 or, you know, some long dirt road mm-hmm. event. Yeah. Um, so they were long, like long road rides and they were hilly, like long road rides. They were a lot like road rides, except out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you're on the dirt all the time and someone suggests riding mountain bikes, uh, you're sort of back at the beginning. <laughs> and that's how I came to mainly be a mountain biker these days. Um, it's worth mentioning that I have never stopped riding any kind of bike. I don't own a BMX bike anymore, but I'm still riding road and gravel bikes. It's just that once my pure fitness started to slide down the backside of the bell curve, maybe you can relate to what I'm talking about. No, no. (laughs) Yeah. Once we got there, I rediscovered that sort of childlike joy of riding bikes in the woods. Um, And and it's great. It's a continuum. I see it as a continuum. And even when I'm in one part of it. I kind of expect to be in the other parts later. Mm-hmm. You know, like, will I be a roadie again? Probably. Um, but I'd ride a unicycle if someone gave me one. So how did we find our way to mountain bikes? I don't know. How did we ever not? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I One of my um, frequent jokes when out on rides with friends is that I... I'd, I don't entirely understand why we thought mountain biking was fun back in the 1980s. You know, the, the <laughs> wheels were small, the, the tires were not very wide, the knobs were not very good, the compounds were hard, uh, the stems were too long, the top tubes too short. I could keep going is the funny part of this. And all of those improvements, dropper posts and everything else, uh, they all made, you know, substantial substantive differences as we busy as we're busy joking about how it's really hard to make a road bike better now the Mm. gains that we've made in the last just 20 years in mountain bikes have utterly transformed the sport and so yeah i joke that like i'm not sure why i liked mountain biking then and that's that is a joke because when i was first mountain biking I was getting to explore a place that I wasn't going to go otherwise. I had given up hiking uh, almost entirely uh, after getting out of the Boy Scouts. You know, once I got my eagle, okay, I didn't have to hike anymore. Um, And so I wasn't going into wild spaces all that much. And then having a bicycle, which was something I loved, going into a wild space where I didn't have to suffer through, you know, awful hiking in boots that didn't fit. Um, I, you know, I always liked the wild places, so I liked going to those wild places on a bike. Um, but you know, I wasn't exploring the terrain in a way that I do in mountain biking. Now, uh, it was, you know, the riding was fundamentally very different. Um, but I just, you know, I love bikes and you put a bike in a different circumstance. Yeah. Uh, I don't particularly want to be on a velodrome again, but I've done that. And, you know, once you get inside what that activity is, oh, that's big fun. 
And mm. taking a BMX bike to a skate park or a pump track, that's just yeah. silly amounts of fun. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd say, you know, my answer to Fez, much like yours, is how did we not? Right. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of hours I spent on a 26-inch hardtail loving life. Yeah. Yeah. I can so, remember a, an apartment I lived in in Memphis just before I moved off to graduate school. And I had like four pieces of furniture, you know, mm. uh, that, that college student, you know, era of, yep. of home furnishings. And so, uh, my, my bikes sat inside my apartment and I can remember just looking at my mountain bike for entertainment, just admiring what an incredible piece of technology that was and thinking about all the new places I wanted to go explore with that thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's only in retrospect that we realized that it was slow and difficult. <laughs> yes. Because yes. it felt absolutely magical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you're not going to complain if you haven't had anything better. That's right. I mean, who, who, if they had told us we were going to be riding prototypes for 25 years, <laughs> I don't know how we would have reacted. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons I'm really trying to avoid getting an e-mountain bike. Yeah, I um I um have that sort of thought as well. When I was in New Zealand, I encountered quite a few people on e-mountain bikes and um they were talking about how fun it is and how much, you know, how you can take a 30-mile day and make it a 55-mile day on the bike and all of this stuff and I thought I got to pedal as long as I can pedal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I want to keep doing this thing as is. Nothing against it. Uh, Not at all. It is it is terrific fun. Although I still don't know how to get the front wheel up very well at speed. Um, that I we have definitive proof that I'm not any good at that just yet. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, here I'm reminded of an experience I had in Washington Square uh, in New York City maybe 35 years ago, uh, where a nice gentleman offered to let me have crack for free. For free? Yeah. Well, yeah. Sure. Try before you buy. Try before you buy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I suspect that e-mountain bikes are pretty much the same thing based on my limited experience. That yeah. uh, if I get any deeper into this, I will be entirely hooked and unwilling to ride any of the wonderful bikes I currently have. Yeah. 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 No, I see. I, I see all of the upsides. Um, I'm just going to stick with the upsides I've got for right now. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, congrats to Fez, huh? Yeah, he is loving it. He is just loving it, and I admit that riding with him has... The thing about being jaded is you sometimes forget that you're jaded. Uh-huh. And, and um, then you go and you ride with uh, someone who really isn't. Someone who really is thrilled by the experience. And it it sort of like 
pulls the blinders off and you think to yourself, you know what, that last little descent that I've done a thousand times and have taken for granted, it really is great. You're really, you're actually right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That, that confirmation can, can still have revelation to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I'm in a pretty, I'm in a really cool place with my writing now where I'm trying to do challenging things and my friends, the friends I ride with who we would have just gone and sort of raged, you know, you just Uh sort of like go out to the trails and you ride fast and you stop every now and then huffing and puffing and drink some water and you move on. Now, a few more of them are interested in doing hard things. You know, Fez wanted to check off a couple technical spots that he hadn't cleared before. And I was super happy for him because I am super happy when I pull these things off, when I, when I check little things off my list. Um, and it's really made our riding sort of more exciting. Now you're not just out. Oh yeah. We're just going out for a ride. You know, it's just a ride. Now it's like, now they have sort of this new interesting purpose that I, I am really into and excited Mm -hmm. about. Yeah. There's, there is something really special about, you know, as you begin to roll out for the ride thinking, oh, I'm going to hit that today. Today's the day. Right. Today's the day I'm going to take a crack. And I can tell you, like, if you, if, if you said to me at any point in the last Six months, what are the top three things you're trying to get done on the mountain bike? I could have told you, well, it's the stairs over by such and such. And then there it's the rock drop on the backside of the hill over by the water tower. And it's the the small rock to the skinny to the big rock to the roll uh, <laughs> at Russell. You know, I could have like ticked off what they were. Um, uh-huh. now I've, now I've done some of them, but I'm, I'm adding to the list all the time. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Alrighty. Well, what do you say? We take a little break and we will be back in just a moment. This month we're sponsored by our good friends at seven cycles who've been in the vanguard of American custom frame building for more than a quarter century. I worked there for most of a decade and I learned more than I knew there was still to learn about bikes. <laughs> When you work with Seven on a bike, you get real input into the design. They offer more tube set options than any other builder. They offer more ways to customize your bike. The process is deep, but it's also fun, and the result is a bike you'll love riding for a lifetime. We've secured a few places in their busy build queue for Paceline listeners, which means now you can get a fully custom dream bike from Seven in just three weeks from the time you submit your measurements. This is the fastest route to the very best bike you're going to find. Just head to 7cycles.com slash TCI to find out more. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you got for us this week? Well, I'm taking on a question that you forwarded to me. It goes, I just bought a new bike and the shop doesn't do fittings. I want to ride it now, regardless. What steps would you take to set up a new to me bike and in what order um Mm. i think the 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 really crucial term in this question is uh the word now (laughs) um right but yeah let's get to it so i have two answers to this um the first one is for anyone who already owns a bike that fits reasonably well or maybe is you know preparing to sell it as they 
cycle through their stable. Um, and the second is for anyone starting from scratch. Um, All right, I like it. So let's suppose you already own a bike that fits reasonably well. The thing to do is to try to mirror that setup. Uh, the measurements to take are saddle height along the seat tube, and it's easiest to run the tape measure from the pedal axle to the top of the saddle, trying to find the exact center of, you know, the pedal spindle. Eh, whatever. Just put the tape measure right on the axle. It's fine. Um, and then uh, before setting the saddle height, take a moment to try to replicate the saddle angle and its position um, on the rails at the seat post clamp. Once that's complete, then set the saddle height and that will make it easier to measure to the same point on the saddle. Uh, mm. The next step from there is to measure from the nose of the saddle to the center of the handlebar. Um, and then the last measurement to take is from the ground to the center of the bar. Um, and I should note that it's really helpful when you're doing these things, if you're using the same pedals, saddle and tires, uh, otherwise you need to shave off or add millimeters here or there. And that gets to be eh, kind of a fussy proposition. Uh, and it's really important to establish the saddle position first and handlebar position second, uh, to replicate an existing handlebar position. You know, we used to just be able to loosen the, the six millimeter bolt and raise or lower the stem. Um, but someone may need these days to replace their stem and possibly swap some spacers above or below the stem. At least now we have those open face, uh, stems so that you can right. take them off a little more easily and don't have to remove the levers. Um, and, you know, honestly, uh, this process is applicable for road bikes, mountain bikes, and even gravel bikes. Um, okay, so that's, that's if you've got the easy way. The hard way, if you don't have an existing bike to work from, and I'm really hoping someone is at least selling their existing bike because uh, they just bought a new one. Uh, of course, I love N plus one. I mean, that's always awesome, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Sure. Uh, but for the person truly starting from scratch, the procedure is essentially the same. You set the saddle height, then you work on uh, bar position. Um, but there's considerably more guesswork in this version. Um, so yeah. after leveling the saddle and centering the rails in the seat <coughs> clamp, uh, you can set a pretty decent saddle height but by positioning the crank in line with the seat tube. That is, the pedal's not at the very bottom of the pedal stroke. It's just a little bit forward so that you see one line extending from the seat tube down through the crank. And then you adjust the saddle up or down until when you sit down on the bike and you put the heat, put your heel uh, on the pedal, your leg is perfectly straight. Uh, fit experts have all kinds of problems with this and don't mm. like it. Um, but when you're trying to do something that's at least remotely intelligent, this is a really good start. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I can see it. I can you, see it. Yep. You need at least some bend in your leg when you're at the bottom of the pedal stroke. You don't want your leg to be completely straight. That's what we're working right. to avoid. Uh, for upper body positioning for road and gravel bikes, um, the easiest to describe in this setting is to adjust the bar height 
and reach so that when your hands are in the hooks, your elbows should form right angles. With mountain bikes, as long as the bar, bar height isn't too much lower or too much higher than the saddle, you're okay. Uh, mountain biking is just so much more dynamic. You're moving around the, on the bike so much more. You don't have to worry about position in the same sort of way as you do with road and gravel bikes. Um, my last note regards bar angle and my advice there, no matter what sort of angle your hands adopt, when you reach for the bar, rotate the bar to match the natural fall of your hands. Um, with mountain bikes that a lot of that has to do with rotating it so that the, uh, brake levers, um, uh, aren't higher than your fingers would fall, but aren't rotated down so far that you have to turn your hand forward to reach the brake sure. levers. Sure. Um, yeah. So those are the big ones. Um, fitting by podcast is probably not a good idea, but I, I like that we're trying to help people, uh, get from point A to point B and I get it. I get impatience. I, mm -hmm, that's where I live. Yeah. You just want to get out there. I think, I think a good guideline, again, it won't be perfect or maybe it will, is that comfort is correct. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if you if you find yourself saying, oh, well, this this looks a little funny, but it's really comfortable. Stick with comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I in my day job writing about e-bikes. I struggle with all these uh, overseas companies that, um, you know, make make the model in ass size. Right. And then they say it fits everybody from five feet tall to six feet four. Right. And, you know, I, I had to do some thinking because, you know, I'm dealing with after having, you know, done high level fitting, <laughs> having written documentation for retool, uh, you know, and, and gone through multiple fitting schools, I'm now at the complete opposite end of the spectrum fit wise. And so, you know, I can't be talking about, you know, tape measures and millimeters with, with this audience. And, so I had to do some real thinking about well, how do you tell people one size is not going to cover everything, um, but understand that it needs to cover a broader range of people than uh, than you would advocate, say, in a high end road shop. And what I what I managed to get around to was when when you look at uh, certain sorts of sizes, you've got about five inches plus or minus. Uh, not, not 10 inches total, but you know, you've got about a, a range of five inches of, uh, human being height that a size could could reasonably work with, with casual riders. Um, mm. and getting, getting to that number, um, and being able to say that comfortably, and also with confidence that really took some doing. I have, I had to work really hard to let go of a lot of expectation about how fit should be, but it's like, you know, this is an audience that, you know, you've got women who are five feet tall, who are being told that they'll ride a bike with a 24 inch head, uh, uh top tube just fine. It's mm. like, mm, I, I, I have my doubts about that. Yeah, I think I think it's a bit crazy. I think that we're really in the cowboy days of e-bike where everybody is just throwing something out to market. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like the idea that you could fit 
the range of a foot or more of human being. It's just garbage. Um, but I think also e-bikes benefit from this power differential where they're giving you power Mm -hmm. So that you don't need to be in an optimal position to generate your own power. So it's there's this fudge factor to the fit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Saddle height doesn't need to be perfect because we're going to be giving you some watts. Yeah. And but I, ultimately... Go ahead, sorry. Ultimately, I was, ultimately that's not where e-bikes are going to be. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe not. I, you know, it's already in a place I never would have guessed and it's succeeding wildly. So I think my guesses are probably not especially useful to anyone on the planet, uh, with regard to this. <laughs> um, you know, the, the thing that I, I try to point out, um, to my reader is that, you know, you don't buy uh one size fits all pants. Those are called sweats. You don't go to work in those, uh, or at least i you know, that's not a job I've had. Um, right. You know, and so, you know, I try to frame it in, you know, thinking about sizing for clothes, you know, small, medium, large. That's a great start. It's not ideal, but that's a great start. Um, mm. And so uh, and, you know, one of the other problems I have is I have to point out when when a company offers a, uh, you know, a, a traditional frame, traditional diamond frame, and they also offer a step through frame. You know, I'm at my charge as, you know, resonant nerd is to go into that geometry chart and see if the effective top tube length has changed between those two models. Very often it doesn't because the the uh, effective top tube length is determined by the size of the battery in that down tube. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where I don't want to yuck somebody's yum. Uh, that is not my, you know, m my job is to make as much yum as possible. And if people are getting out on devices with two wheels and pedals, hooray. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I, I take a slightly different point of view, which is that it's all yum. <laughs> yep. It's all yum. But this one might be more yum than another one. Totes. Totes. Um, yeah. And sizing is going to be a factor in that. Now, if this is your first bike and, you know, you're just happy to get whatever it'll give you, that's great. If you're constrained to a budget that says you have to buy a one-size-fits-all thing and just that's what you're going to use for a while until you can prove that this is what you're doing with your life, <laughs> that's great. But yeah. generally speaking, I think we're talking to people who want to always try to make it a little better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know... <laughs> One of the things I often point out to people is, you know, this isn't PE. We don't have coach math is going, all right, boys, give me 40 laps. Uh, it's it's not like that. There's nobody's going to grade us on this. We're out there for a good time. And so the choices should be driven by what looks like a good time to you. Yeah. 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 So, all righty, let's move on to Paceline Picks. Uh, this week, I'm not making a pick. <laughs> not as such. Um, John, um, let, let me bring you up to speed here. That's what this segment is about. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I know. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what I've picked, but I'm actually requesting advice from the listeners. Mm. Oh, we're doing a reverse here. Okay. We're doing a reverse. Oh. Um, so... 
As you might know, I'm a fan of non-endemic cycling wear. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I like to, that just means I like to ride in stuff that wasn't made to be ridden in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's practical reasons for that. Uh, for example, my Adidas soccer half pants really do make great summer mountain biking shorts. That nobody in, in the cycling business is making shorts like that is dumb to me. Mm. <laughs> then sometimes there are fashion reasons. Like, I just don't need to look like a cyclist all the time, even when I'm on the bike. Mm-hmm. So one of my other most favoritist riding shorts is actually a pair of Dickies heavyweight duck carpenter's pants that I cut off just at the base of the pockets. Okay. Um, I... I wear a liner under them, obviously, but there's something about that cotton canvas that feels so tough and rugged on the bike, but also it kind of breathes well. Uh-huh. And they really work for me in a way that a lot of the stretchy, kind of DWR-coated, purpose-built mountain bike shorts don't so much. Huh. Okay. All right. Yeah. I love when I love your measured incredulity. (laughs) Color me curious. So the challenge, I wear these things all the time. Uh, And the challenge I have with them, the reason I'm not telling people to go buy these carpenter's pants and cut them off and wear them to ride in is because I don't need all those pockets or honestly, the hammer loop. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I can see how that one might go. (laughs) Yeah, the hammer loop's not killing me, but I just don't need all that. I don't need that much complication. So part of this is me suggesting that duck canvas shorts are good to ride mountain bikes in. They really are. But it's also a request for input on a good pair made from this same material, but maybe not carpenter style. And I know they're out there. But I don't want to do hundreds of dollars of research to find the right one. So I'm wondering, is anyone else wearing what I'm wearing? Probably not. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, and if they are, what what are they riding? What are what is what is that answer? You know, I have a buddy who lives out in West <laughs> County. Um, one of the people who actually introduced me to the Gianni Club. And he rides in cutoffs. Yeah. Uh, he he works for one of the best respected PR agencies in all of cycling, and he wears cutoffs. Uh, yeah, one of these days I might actually out him. Um, but you know, maybe maybe we should put you in touch with him. I'll call him Kevin here. One one of my go to mountain like if it's warm out, I put on a pair of liners. Um, I like the ones I got from Gore. Uh, I pull my Dickies carpenter shorts on and then and then on top, I just wear this uh, polyester blend uh, short sleeve button down shirt. My kid thrifted from uh, the Goodwill because uh, it breathes really nice. It It's, you know, I can unbutton it most of the way when things get real warm. That's what I wear a lot of the time. And. I'm comfortable in it. I think it performs perfectly well. There's nothing wrong with cycling specific clothing, and I have a lot of it and I've picked a lot of it, but a lot of it is also pretty precious. Mm -hmm. And it's also it's I also I only have so much room or so much patience 
for stuff I can only wear in one way. Oh, I, I own a tuxedo, so I, I'm not, uh, I'm not a good person to have this conversation with. Look, I own some suits too, which is ridiculous. Cause I wear a suit, you know, biannually maybe, mm-hmm. um, there are certain things I guess you, you feel you need to have or you needed to have or it made financial sense for you to have rather than rent, as in the case of a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. And and look, I've got uh, one to, in my closet. I have two and a half drawers dedicated entirely to cycling clothing. That's all. Uh, that is all. And that's after a hard pare down. Um, I would like to have maybe one. Because I just don't think my riding is that, um, yeah, I just don't, I just don't need to be in jerseys and stuff all the time. I I like that stuff. It's good. Uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah, that's just where I'm at. On mountain bike rides, I look like a roadie who got lost. Yeah, I, that's not the look I rock. Um, and it's not what I'm comfortable in. Like, I love like much airier. I, I love a road kit on a road bike on a hot day for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, love might be a stretch. I really like it. I do prefer it. <laughs> I wouldn't wear, I wouldn't wear the, the, uh, the, the canvas carpenter pants on, on a road ride. Um, but on the mountain bike, uh, baggier, airier stuff. I really like the toughness of the canvas shorts. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of the, cause I fall off a lot. I'm trying, I'm trying stuff and I, you know, I hit the ground. I go in the bushes a fair amount, <laughs> um, uh, which is by dint of lack of skill, but also sort of by design. Cause that's how I'm trying to, that's just how I'm trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. That's my new approach. I feel like I've, I've run the whole gamut with bike clothing. I started at the beginning with the cheap mm -hmm. Lycra stuff. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, good. Now I have this stuff. And I had like one of each thing at the very, very, you know, at the very, very beginning. And then you get another couple things. And then you're like, oh, I want to get nicer stuff. You go kind of all the way up the curve or as far as you're comfortable. And now I'm sort of like working my way back out again. And I will buy more like specific clothing Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be very considered and very... Um, there won't be a lot of it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm useless in this conversation because I, I like all the different little things. Um, sure. Yeah. There, there are pieces of cycling clothing that I don't own that I've never been able to get my hands on that I still want to this day. Mm. Like the short sleeve thermal Jersey. The short sleeve thermal Jersey. Interesting. You know, you use that with arm warmers and then if it gets, you know, warm enough. To, sorry, this is these are the sorts of things hoarders say, but you go on. What's your pick? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That is utterly fair. Uh, my pick this week is a hydration product. Uh, Goo Energy's hydration drink tabs. Uh, oh. There's a, a, a simple reality uh, of my life, which is I drink more when the contents of my bottle or hydration pack uh, has flavor. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I blame my longstanding sweet tooth. Um, the thing is, 
I travel a fair amount and traveling with a bag of mix is not ideal. Even when you double bag yeah. it inside of, you know, uh, Ziploc bags, it's still, it's an unwieldy size. And mm. I, I feel like somebody who was, you know, lost in my own house for a while. I recently returned to the goo energy drink tabs and, you know, Hey, they travel well. And yep. they occupy a surprisingly compact package. Uh, one tab gives you 320 milligrams of sodium and 55 milligrams of potassium and only a single gram of sugar. So this is a formulation that isn't about calories. It's just about hydration and yep. getting that, uh, getting those electrolytes through your uh, lining as quickly as possible. And that's why there's a small amount of sugar um, as opposed to enough to keep you going. The one drawback to this product, I'd say, is that a single tablet is meant to mix with 16 ounces of water. And as we know, most bottles are either 20 or 24 ounces. Uh, with a 20-ounce bottle, because the taste at 16 ounces is reasonably, um, I don't want to say strong, but, you know, it's its nice. If you want something that's just a little less sweet, not quite as intense, Uh you can fill it up to 18 or 20 ounces and it does okay. With the 20 ounce bottles, I've, uh, I just don't fill them quite to the top generally. Um, sure. With the 20 ounce bottle, I cut a tablet in half. 24 ounce bottle. Uh, sorry, yes. Thank you. With the 24 ounce bottles, I cut a tablet in half. And generally, if I'm filling a 24 ounce bottle, I'm filling two of them. Um, so that other half gets right. put to use immediately as opposed to like breaking down into chalk after I drop it back in the tube. Right, right, right. Um, it comes in a bunch of flavors, tropical citrus, orange, my personal favorite, strawberry lemonade, triberry, and lemon lime. There's also a strawberry hibiscus that adds a little jolt of caffeine. Um, and a 12-serving tube goes for $7.50, or you can get a box of four for $30. Um, they're available directly from Goo Energy, but REI keeps them in stock. Uh, so do a lot of bike shops. Yeah. I, I like I like the drink tabs. I use them a lot. I like that you can drop them, you know, when you're packing, you take the empty water bottle and you just put the tube of tabs in the water bottle and it's all right there, ready to rock. Oh, I've never uh, tried you, that. Oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah. Um, by the end of this year, you're going to be wearing carpenter shorts and traveling with, <laughs> with, with the tube inside the bottle. Will, will I... <sighs> Boy, I can't believe I'm going to ask. Will I be wearing socks with sandals too? No. Oh, okay. No. Okay. Okay. No. So I'm not giving up all of my personal dignity, just some of it? I believe unless you're German, they won't let you through customs anywhere if you've got socks with sandals. So, you know, there's a hard sort of limit on that. Oh, I think they, I think the Swiss can pull that off as well. I mean, not that they're actually pulling it off, but I think, you know, they're also, Yeah. This sure. would be where we wind the show up and say thanks to everyone who has listened. <laughs> That's absolutely true. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on anything we talked about today in Please. the comments. Yeah, uh, you can leave comments on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or preferably go to the Cycling Independent and leave them there. Uh, yeah. And uh, hey, maybe you'll subscribe. Uh, we would really be grateful if you did. This is a, an independent production, and we actually pay our contributors. We're not uh, imploring them to give us stuff for free uh, for their their uh, 
package of clips. This, this right. would be good for your clips. Ugh. That's right. Yeah. Doing you a favor. Right. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. Keep listening to us. Maybe check out uh, Revolting with John and Steve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but don't expect us to talk about bikes. Um, <laughs> until next week. Yes. I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>